0: Welcome to Cabaret Secrets. My name's Gary Williams, and today, well, we're joined by an internationally renowned cabaret performer. She's an actress, a writer. She's been named one of Time Out's top ten cabaret acts and voted the best musical variety act in the London Cabaret Awards. She's also guested with Fascinating Aida and is a member of the award-winning improvised musical group The Showstoppers. She's appeared in the West End on BBC Radio 4. She's played numerous guest leads on television and Time Out described her as outstanding. Sarah Louise Young, that sounds impressive
1: have made my day. That sounds great.
0: <laughs> now, we should explain a bit of background noise because you're straight you're straight off stage at the Edinburgh Fringe and we're having a coffee together and a noisy coffee shop, but I wanted to grab you for a few minutes. So, you, the show you're doing here is Night Bus.
1: Yes, Night Bus. So it's a play, it's a two-hander with uh, Linda Marlowe, who I met here and both of us have done a lot of solo shows and we thought it'd be quite nice to put ourselves in a room and also to play, uh, she's, uh, she won't mind me saying that she's 74 and I'm 38 and I'm, l- I'm now looking at your face going she's never 74 but she really is 74 and uh, she's totally amazing and we wanted to put ourselves in a show where we could play against type, against age, against gender and, and kinda of mess about and our, I think before embarking on Edinburgh it's good to have a list of reasons why you're coming and number one was have something we enjoy doing for an hour and we have a lot of fun on stage together so
0: i'm used to seeing you singing there's no singing in night bus was that a hard choice to make?
1: No, Linda does a (laughs) tiny bit of singing. Um, I wanted a bit of a change because my background was in theatre and I fell into cabaret and cabaret has been amazingly good to me and it's what I love about cabaret is it's so immediate that you can come up with an idea on the spot and you can put that into your act and you can respond to the audience in the room. But a little bit of me kind of hungered after theatre and sort of not forgetting that that's part of where I've come from. And also the kind of cabaret that I do which is character based, there's so much acting in that. So for me I've found that the, the work I've done which is also like with Showstopper they all feed each other so a bit of improv a bit of straight theatre a bit of musical a bit of cabaret so it was a choice to, to flex some other muscles for a while
0: mm. and challenging?
1: Uh, it's always challenging, especially putting something together, especially writing it. And we worked with Russell Lucas, who was our director on Julie Madly Deeply. And it's very hard to both be have your writing brain on and your performing brain. You kind of want to slice yourself in two and step outside the room. So that was the biggest challenge, was to separate ourselves. And he's been an amazing outside eye, because I think without him, it just would have been a car crash.
0: Is it harder doing a show like this without music, though, without singing? Because sometimes the singing can sort of... Sort of fill in three minutes and kind of get you out of jail you don't have to write necessarily, unless you're writing an original piece you don't have for, for me when I'm singing you know I can just I can tell my story and then use a song to help further the story along whatever I'm trying to say but for you you've got to write everything from scratch
1: well most of the music I sing is stuff that I've written myself with Michael Ralston anyway right. so for me and one of the things I've got from showstopper is that the the song really has to have a reason you know most songs take you well since Oklahoma now songs have a purpose and they have a an emotional context So songs have never been a get-out-of-jail-free card, but they are sometimes a way of bringing your audience to you immediately. And I've noticed in cabaret, if you start with a song, it's like the audience just breathe a collective sigh of relief, and they go, oh, okay, she can sing, that's fine, we're in safe hands. And they will will give you a little bit of space to experiment. Whereas the stand-up world, which I did for a year, um, really just to try and hone my links as a cabaret performer, is a little harsher, and you're just starting from absolutely nowhere. So music does allow you to kind of wrap your audience audience up and also set an emotional tone which is harder to do I think when you just come straight out into speaking
0: And I noticed in Nightbush you used music very sparingly not between every scene but just very occasionally every now and again and also in another show that you've directed here for Lynn Ruth Miller you use music there but again very sparingly there's no singing just track music but it's, it's a very powerful effect
1: Yeah, it's something I've learned from my director, Russell Lucas. He's very hot on whether the language of your piece is theater or film. And there's often a lot more music in film And he always says, well, you've got to really, really interrogate your decisions. Why have you put it on stage? And sometimes it's just easy to use music. And I think if you use it sparingly, then the music really has a weight to it. And sometimes you can use silence, and you can use the uncomfortableness of silence as a kind of music of its own. And and certainly in Lynn Roos' show, because, again, we'd written original songs, there was a debate about whether we wanted to use pre-recorded tracks or not. And the reason why we chose those tracks is because they are from that era, and we wanted to sort of evoke... Uh, the 50s and the 60s and the time that she's talking about. But yeah, I, I've been more ruthless with myself since working with Russell about what you're using on stage because he says sometimes, you, you know, in a way there's no point in making a film on stage, you can make a film. So using theatre language, if a sound can be made actually on the stage, and we've got a scene in ours where uh, Linda and I are both on mobile phones and we rehearsed it using real phones and using those annoying sounds. And in the end we thought, now nah, we should make it ourselves because then you're actually lifting it into a theatre language and then you can actually say something rather than just imitate imitate life.
0: When you've been putting together your own shows, have you always worked with a director?
1: Yes, I think it's really important to have an outside eye. The, the challenge with Cabaret is that I develop it in front of an audience, so I might go out and gig with a few ideas and then discover things, but certainly when I'm putting the show together I'll either get a director in to watch it once it's already exists, because I think with Cabaret, uh, because it's coming from your own voice, you can't really ask a director to direct from day one. Uh, certainly with the cabaret horse stuff that I do, so I've got them in to shape it. But with Julie Mandel Deeply, I had written kind of a version of the show that was really boring, which we affectionately called Wikipedia Live, which was, all, <laughs> which was all the facts and stuff. And then Russell came in and said, okay, I don't need to be a Julie Andrews expert, you're the expert, make it interesting, make the stories matter. So again, he was really ruthless with making me stand up for the material in the show. And there were loads of things in it. I thought, oh, but that matters, that really, and you go, nah, yeah, but not to us. Because also you had to decide which story you're telling. And you You can't tell anyone's life in an hour, so you have to decide which thread, what matters. So with Julie Madley it was very much the story of the fan, the journey of all the projections that we put onto Julie Andrews. So of course you tell her life story, but it's also what are your reference points, what really matters. So I think I could do it on my own, but I think it would be a dangerous thing to do. It's also for my peace of mind and to have someone to kind of strength test. And, and to challenge me, because, you know, I don't think, you know, I can't be right all the time.
0: But you've really got to trust whoever you're choosing to direct, right? Otherwise, you, you know, if you don't really, really respect them and they start telling you that's a bad idea, even an idea which you've been pondering for three months and you think a great idea, to go with what they say it takes a high level of trust and respect
1: yeah and for them as well because their name is on the project and if you do a terrible job yeah I as the older I've got the more the collaborators have been important to me and Michael and I have been writing together for nearly eight years and we've known each other for 15 years and there is now a shorthand between us as writers but it's a it's a huge trust that from a director that he won't let you step out on stage with something that is incomplete but also there's a lovely point and being up here as a director myself I've had that lovely experience of watching someone go beyond what you did in the room with them and now when I I go and check in on Lynn Ruth and also um, Nikki Gaynor, who's do another show up here that I've directed, I'm going to see it and, and realising that they don't need you. So the ultimate aim is that an actor should render their director uh, redundant. Mm. That's the hope which both my girls have they've been amazing
0: I was talking to a, a record producer the other day and he was saying his role is before he gets involved in producing some of his record he wants to spend a lot of time with them really like understand them off stage and on he wants to know who they are as a person as well as what their voice is capable of is that the same for you is it is it that sort of deep with you as, a, as directing somebody on stage or can you just go in and have a look and start telling them what's right and what's not
1: I think there's two strands as a, as a good director you can come and see a piece of theatre and say, this is what I think doesn't work with it, and the, here's where I think you might want to make different choices. With Lynn Ruth and with Nikki, the better I knew them, the more I could serve what they wanted to deliver, because it's their story. So Lynne Ruth I've known for nine years, and what was really helpful was Michael and I spent a day with Lynne Ruth, and we talked about where the songs could work in the show, because obviously this is different we're directing and also writing for her. And the biggest compliment that we've had paid is that it feels like the songs come from her voice, and they come from her story. So I think if we hadn't known her so well, and also we hadn't had as much Affection for her and we really wanted the story to be authentic, it would have been hard for us to to write the songs really in her voice. As a director I also had to separate my friendship from her because I am her friend and I love her dearly, but also sometimes as a director you have to be quite firm and unsentimental. Um, So yeah, I mean it's interesting to me when directors choose to work again and again with a performer. I mean the artist David Hockney is an interesting one, he works with the same models again and again and he says the more you know your subject, the more you can bring out of them and all actors have their default modes all of us have our tricks and our stock characters and if someone really knows you and invests in you they can say hold on a minute no don't give me that don't give me that and working with Russell for the second time uh, it was yeah I was it was brilliant and now we've got other projects we want to write together which I'm very excited about Mm -hmm. but um yeah I mean it's a privilege really to become friends with the person you're working with I don't think you have to but I think for this kind of very personal cabaret it certainly helps
0: For anybody listening to this who's got their own show or putting their own show together and thinks, yeah, you know, I really should get the input of a director, how do they find one and how much does it cost?
1: Oh, how do they? Well, I've always thought, it's the same when actors say, which agent should I go to? You look at the people whose careers you like and you're interested in and you see what they're doing. So I think one of the things that Nikki did was that she went and just saw loads of shows. I mean, when I met her on the first day, she had this massive folder of music. She had been to see over 100 shows and we wrote down a list of what we liked and what we didn't like, what we wanted the show to be, what we didn't want it to be. So she'd really, really prepared. So she found me because she liked the things that I had done and also because I taught her on a on a cabaret course. Uh, In terms of cost, uh, I couldn't possibly speak for anyone else. Um, I have a daily rate which I think is fair, Uh, I also do certain things for less money if I want to invest in them. I'm I'm a big believer in in kind of mentoring people because I know that when I started out I had some amazing people who just gave me their advice, so it it shouldn't come down to money. And also it depends, if you've got a producer, if you've got a commercial backer, then yeah, then, then you can sort of play by those rules. But I mean, you know, I, I'd love to say I had an equity minimum charge, but I don't. Mm-hmm. So I, it would be impossible for me to put a figure on it because
0: it just like Like for all of us as performers, if somebody comes along and says, oh, will you do a gig for us? Yeah. So, I always think if, if somebody somewhere is making lots of money out of it, then I want a bid as well. But if there's no money really involved and if it's something I'm interested in and I want to be involved with, then the money doesn't matter, does it?
1: Yeah, and also something Michael and I have said. We made a sort of pitch together a year ago that we wanted as many people singing our songs as possible so we quite often get people we've had people in Australia and America say oh well, can we have the she music to your songs and we've said yeah you can have it and at the moment we're not charging for it because if people are singing it if they if they're quite all we ask is that people use our names so for us to get people's heads around the idea that we were a writing partnership it's a good investment and interestingly with fascinating Aida they chose not to monetize cheap flights on YouTube
0: and, and this was Cheap Flights was a big hit for them, wasn't yeah, it? A, a, a great uh, parody song.
1: And they've had over 10, 000, 10 million hits, sorry. And somebody said to them, oh, you should monetize. it. they said, no, but what it's done is it's meant people have come to see our shows. So in the end, we've made money, but not in the way that you might imagine. Mm. So sometimes it's worth taking a risk and just getting your stuff out there. And there are people I want to work with. There are lots of collaborators I want to work with. And often I'm the last person to get paid. You know, I've produced a lot of stuff. And I, again, you know, I want to put money into the arts, you know. If people offer me a comp to see their show, that's lovely. But I'm also at an age where I feel I should pay to see a show. I should put money into it because I can. Not because I'm rich, but I'm certainly not a struggling student. So, yeah, there's no there's no blanket rule, is there, I think, for money.
0: And working with other people, directing other people's shows, must have a positive effect on your own performances and your own understanding.
1: I hope so. I've realised there are different kinds of performers. And there are some performers who are just inspired, brilliant actors. And they don't necessarily unpack their craft. They're just are brilliant and there are other people who are fascinated by what makes acting work, and I've always been one of those people. So for me, the directing informs the acting, and the acting informs the directing. It was quite <laughs> funny doing Night Bus, because Linda was directing two shows, I was directing two shows, and our director, Russell, was also doing some acting work. <laughs> so we had to very consciously take off our directing hats. And uh, and it's a trust thing, because Linda and I have done so many solo shows. You do get to a point where you know, we always check our own props. It doesn't matter how many times someone has placed your props, we'll always check our own props. So in a way, uh, you have to kind of force yourself to to trust a little bit more but um, I think it's good for performers to try a bit of everything you can tell actors who really understand the world they're the ones that hang their costumes up at the end of the day and don't just assume someone else is going to do it for them I'd rather be one of those actors. I think.
0: Tell us some of the practical things for anybody thinking of coming up to Edinburgh to do their own show. Yes. You've been here, you tell us a 12, many, 12 yeah. years. You're an expert.
1: Uh, 12 years over 18. Uh, there's lots of. Once you sign up to a venue, they will send you a, a sort of reminder of when things need to be done. I think you need 10 months. Usually, a couple of months after Edinburgh, you start thinking about the next uh, Edinburgh. And the venues, you some of them will take sort of early inquiries at the end of the year, but usually sort of January, February time. Do a budget. I know so many people that don't do a budget, which is kind of amazing. Um,
0: Obvious things which people forget to budget for.
1: So obviously you've got your accommodation, you've got your flyers and posters. There's also, most venues require a deposit. Now, the free fringe is amazing. There are three different branches of the free fringe, but um, uh, they mostly work on the same premise, which is that you don't rent the venue, you take a collection in the bucket at the end. The BBH fringe, there's no charge. The the Laughing Horse fringe, there's a 45 pound registration fee. And I don't know about the the other one, which is called the, I should know, the la, La Favorita free fringe. But um, that's a way to come up a lot. So you can do a show for two grand rather than ten grand.
0: So two grand, that's including accommodation? Yeah. So the cheapest basic. it can come out is, is two grand.
1: I think so. You know, if you can get some cheap accommodation for sort of 800, you can get some flyers for sort of 200. And that's not, not including rehearsal room, costumes, uh, PRS. And that's not paying anybody. But it can be done on two grand. Or you can spend thousands and thousands. But it's also, I sound silly, but it's those things like pritstick, staplers, um, All the stuff that while you're up here, you know, you're constantly going out and and just staying afloat and and looking after yourself. But you can also, you can do it more expensively. I mean, as you've seen wandering around Edinburgh, there's thousands of pounds spent on advertising and hoarding. Who knows if it works? Uh, The thing with Edinburgh is you've got a new batch of people coming in every weekend. So there's no substitute for getting out and doing it again and again and getting your flyers out. The other thing, if you've got a musical show, you have an advantage. There are so many guest guest shows, so many variety nights where you can come and do a ten minute set. Uh, most of the time you're not paid for it, but an audience are much happier to take a flyer from you if they've just seen you in something. So I've, I've, done, I've, I've put together a kind of survival pack for doing the Free Fringe, which I've shared with many people. on their Where first. can we get it? Uh, you can contact me and I'll send it to you. Okay, we will. Uh, I remember sitting down with East End Cabaret the, the first year. They were going to come up on the Free Fringe and we had, a, we had a tea and I gave them my advice such as it was and um, uh, obviously I don't hold myself entirely responsible for their tremendous success <laughs> but they were just and they were so smart I mean they absolutely they got CDs made they uh, they had a song about the bucket the bucket collection there's loads of little tricks and things to and they just work their asses off so I mean they deserve all the success that they've got
0: so a good thing is for people that is interested in doing it they should come and experience it as much as possible and see as much as possible and see the kind of things that are like their own product and see how everybody else is doing
1: yeah if you can afford to come up uh, book your tickets three months in advance register with the National Express train line uh, and then they, the tickets well you'll get an alarm sent to you when the tickets go on sale and you can get return tickets for about 15 quid so that's a good piece of advice uh, and see stuff yeah I think uh, if you're not interested in what other people are doing I think that's a that's a strange way to be as a performer um, and yeah in terms of flyering because it's overwhelming up here if you exit flyer shows that might have a similar target audience to yours then that's kind of just, just good logical sense so to be
0: a bit more focused rather than just randomly stay on the Royal Mile, shoving flies in anybody's hand that passes? Would you know they're just going to go in the bin?
1: I have not been on the Royal Mile for the last five years. <laughs> uh, yes, I think a, a, a conversation with an actual human being about your show Will be, you know, much more likely to get bums on seats. Than yeah, I notice random. people
0: having conversations. That, 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 you know, you're sitting around having coffee somewhere, and someone will come up, and they will have a little conversation rather than just shove a flyer sitting. in your hand. Well,
1: no, but there's two ways of doing it. If you see someone sitting at the table, sort of looking through a brochure, looking a bit confused, I'll come up and say, uh, "Are you interested in hearing about a show?" Or, "Here's a piece of theatre. It's on in half an hour." What annoys me is when people are engrossed in conversation, and people come and they talk at you, and it's like we're having a conversation. Yes. So also, people have definite "please don't fly me" faces, yes. and you need to learn to recognise those people with their hands in their pockets on the whole don't want to be given a flyer so I don't fly (laughs) Or on the phone yeah it's amazing how many people just kind of steamroller through that But also, it's good. I do take flyers, just because I know how demoralizing it is. Be
0: How long do you wait before you put them in the bin?
1: I pass them <laughs> on to someone else.
0: Oh, that's a good answer. Very nice. Is, it, uh, is there a lot of uh, competition, I mean, there obviously is competition, but do people, there's a bit of jealousy and, uh, you know, uh, does it get a little bit tense sometimes between competing shows?
1: I'd love to say it isn't, but the first year I did the Free Fringe, because we, uh, it wasn't as big as it is now, and we had a, a cabaret horse show, and we were standing room only from day three, and it was just overwhelming. I had no no idea it was going to be that successful.
0: And you needed a bigger bucket.
1: Well, we, we needed a bigger room, <laughs> uh, and the, because and, and the other company, one of the other companies in the building, deliberately told people in my queue that they were seeing the wrong show. So they pretended that my show was downstairs, and so I'd get usually 10, ten or so people a day coming in saying, "Oh, we were sent to the wrong room," and that was very unfortunate. And I, I, it was a real shame because I thought, well, if if people come and they have a good experience at the Free Fringe, they're more likely to come and see your show. So that. That's been my only experience of it. People can be quite mean with postering, they'll come and poster over your poster, but on the whole, especially in the cabaret community, I think there's a lot of mutual respect for what it is that we try to do. I think especially with singers, because it is hard to look after yourself up here. I've and I've I've made good friends here, and there's a there's a kind of good feeling of solidarity that you you know how hard everyone's working and you kind of you're in the same boat together, really.
0: If I'm doing a, a, a show where I'm having to sing every night, I get I just live like a nun, you know. I get really paranoid and I'm really worried about losing my Voice. I mean, imagine all the effort and the money that you, you spend for a run at Edinburgh. And after, you know, the first 10 days you get sick and have to have a week off. It would be disastrous. Has that ever happened to you? And do, I mean, you also want to see as many things as possible, experience as much as possible, but at the same time, take care of yourself.
1: Uh, I live like a nun too. It's nice to hear I'm not alone. Uh, I never drink, don't drink alcohol. And I steam my voice three times a day. I Showstopper finishes around midnight. I'm trying to be in bed by two. This is a, so
0: you're doing uh, you're in two shows here as well as Nightverse yeah. you're in Showstoppers.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, I have a, a coffee a day. I'm allowed that. I mean, all, all singers have got different things. So like, I know Peter Straker can drink alcohol, but he can't drink coffee. I know some singers that are fine with cheese, some not. So it depends. But uh, for me, this is work. This is work. I'm here to work. Um, I go to see other shows for my mental health, as much as my kind of uh, to, to refuel creatively. I think it's important to see things. But this is not. For For me, this is not a place to be out at four o'clock in the morning screaming my head off in the loft bar. And I know performers who do it, and good luck to them, Mm -hmm. but it's not for me. uh,
0: Curse those 20 years! I
1: know. (laughs) No, but you know, it's that thing, someone coming to see your show on the last day is entitled to as good a performance as someone who came on the first day. And also, it's no fun. It's no fun being ill. But I know other people who have got the stamina of oxes, and I'm not one of those people, so I've always had to look after myself
0: sarah louise young we're going to save your voice for your showstoppers performance tonight. thanks so much for talking to us today thank you very much indeed thank you thank you for listening to this cabaret secrets podcast if you've got any comments or questions please visit cabaretsecrets.com where you'll also find details of the cabaret secrets book an indispensable guide on how to create your own show travel the world and get paid to do what you love